You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. Tonight's going to be uh, the official Yuletide episode, the uh, end of the year holiday special, if you will. I thought it would be fun just to do kind of a casual episode this weekend. Um, I like doing casual episodes once in a while, and I've got a really great guest tonight. We're going to have a nice conversation. We've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. And uh, I just, you know, whatever you guys are into out there, you know, whether you're what you're into, what you're not into, I just hope that everyone can uh, take a little time this time of year and reflect on some of the good stuff that's happened. I know there's been a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of bad stuff that's happened in the past couple of years, and uh, I hope everyone can make peace with whatever it is that you've got going on out there and just look forward to a good year. So, um, you know, I just want to say to everyone, all my listeners out there, everyone who's helped me get this far with the show, uh, thank you from me to you because you guys are really what makes the show happen and gives it purpose. So uh, just, you know, holiday thanks from me personally. And uh, moving on to thanks uh, in a different capacity. I've got a lot of uh, a lot of thank yous that I've kind of got uh, backed up on. So I want to take this opportunity to thank a few people. Uh, number one, the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, I know I know a lot of listeners actually use Spotify. I'm not quite sure what the review process is with like that because I got a bunch of data from Spotify, which was looking pretty good. And uh, if you are on Apple Podcasts, if you can leave a review, the five-star review, easiest, simplest way to support the show. So that's, uh, that's a nice way to go about it. And uh, I want to thank uh, Frog Guy <laughs> for leaving the nice five-star review. Uh, I, I got you, my man. I know who you are, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, that was a nice, solid review. And uh, all kidding aside, uh, five-star reviews definitely help podcasts out. And if you want to get the show out to a wider audience, that's definitely the best way to do so. And a couple of other things going on. I've got a couple of honorable mention shout outs. Uh, the first one goes to Doug. Uh, second one goes to uh, Katarina. And I've got uh, two, well, I've actually got two Kyles here. I've got Kyle and Kyle. So I want to uh, give all you guys a shout out. And I also want to thank uh, Rob for becoming a patron. Uh, again, Patreon is another great way to support the show if you guys want to get a shout out on the show and support the show in a way that kind of helps me keep the lights on. Patreon's a great way to do it. So a uh, big thanks and a lot of love to Rob. You guys might know him on Instagram, see Rob's stuff. And uh, Rob's a super guy. Uh, he's been through a lot this year himself, so I want to uh, definitely send Rob some love. So all kidding aside, uh, housekeeping out there again from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to all of you for making the show go on. Uh, I've had some good guests coming on in the past, and I've got some good guests coming up for the new year. And uh, while we're on the topic of guests, uh, we're going to get into it tonight with a really great guy. Honestly, I <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone better to spend the holiday season with, but uh, yeah, we're going to get to talk to the one and only Mike Titula, Alpha Reptile, and it's going to be a great night. So why don't we just get into it right now? So Mike, welcome back. It's been a while since we talked. What's going on? It has, it has. Uh, not much. Been uh, been busy with the reptile room and just got back from Costa Rica. So it's been a, a cra- crazy couple weeks, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for for both of us. <laughs> We both had some interesting stuff. Go- I mean, we're like we we were talking off air a little while ago, and uh, it's been been an exciting uh, exciting period for both for both of us. But um, why don't we? Uh, I want I really want to get to Costa Rica because I want to cover everything you saw. But why, why don't yeah. we catch up a little bit since we spoke? It's it's been a bit over a year since we spoke last. So what have you been up to since uh, since the last time I had you on? 
Oh boy. Um, I guess last year you would have me on, yeah, it was even right around this time. So I think I had maybe just moved to Ontario or I was just about to. So I've been out here for a year now. Um, been doing a ton of different work in the reptile room. We've gotten a bunch of, of new reptiles and, and sold some of the other ones and, uh, just kind of figuring out what, what direction we're bringing the, the business, the, the jungle vault down. Uh, we can talk more about that later, but, uh, we've been doing that a lot. Um, I am basically just grinding out YouTube right now. So a lot of work, uh, excited for the holidays, but nervous at the amount of work that lies ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be interesting now. I mean, are you, you still working a day job or you're doing this exclusively for for your income now? Right now, this is this is it. That's awesome. They're like living the dream. Yeah, well, I don't don't have a place to ourselves. Don't have a house, so <laughs> at some point, reality will hit. But right now, it's pretty nice. Yeah, you'll 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 get there one day. And I have fond memories of living in an apartment with uh, an excessive amount of animals. So it just it 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 takes time. You'll you'll, you'll get there. Yeah. What um. What are you doing with the company? I mean, we'll 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 get into it a little bit more later. But I mean, you you started vending again, and you're kind of getting mm-hmm. out there into the, the the show circuit. I guess you could call it again. What, what's it like vending at shows now with uh, with your new business? Man, it's 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 changed. Well, I I did one show pre COVID um, on my own, like back in Calgary, and it it's changed a lot. I know as an industry the the reptile hobby and and pets as in general have really boomed over the past well two years i guess now and uh yeah i was i was i guess part of that kind of rode that and then now that we're back at shows uh, it's kind of like the first few shows back were pretty insane and then the last like we did one i guess two weeks ago now the very first week of december and it it sucked (laughs) we like we made money and and we had fun but just in general it was very low attendance low excitement um it was just kind of a a meh show but here in canada i know some of the rules are different than in the states um we have mass mandates like that never went away here so wearing those at the expos uh at the beginning it was super super stringent with like stay six feet away just everybody freaking out like policing it there's literally like police there there was uh, security all over the place and something that they've implemented here uh at the expos in toronto is uh no photo or video so that was definitely something new um and that was weird because you'd have people it's weird when people walk up to you and say hey can i like on the dl take a photo of this like my boyfriend's at home and i you know he can't be here i just want to check or whatever the situation might be and you're like hey listen like i verbatim just say listen i don't care as long as you don't get caught by security you do what you want to (laughs) do like it's up to you and uh so that, that was kind of the biggest change um but overall it's nice like it's it's kind of like seeing family again even though it's not <laughs> not the people i grew up with cuz i i grew up out west but it's a lot of people familiar faces and stuff like that that it's great to say hi and of course in my case i i meet viewers and whatnot as well so that's always pretty interesting just having random people walk up like oh my goodness you're 
so-and-so on YouTube. Like, I watch your videos. You inspired me to get dart frogs. I get that a lot, which is funny. Like, I don't, I guess a couple years ago, I had a lot of dart frog content, but recently there's been less so. And I had a lot of people like mention dart frogs to me. I was like, oh, cool. Well, <laughs> I love them and I can't wait to have more. So yeah, I guess that kind of covers the whole <laughs> show, show biz. Yeah, the dark the dark frog content is it's an interesting animal because there's a fair amount of it out there, but like nothing even remotely close to things like like snakes and I mean there's some a kind of like general more general reptile channels out there that just like like blow anything frog wise out of the way. I feel like once people get like the whole visual of the vivarium out of the way, then it's like all right, and I, now what do I do? You know, I don't know. That's just yeah. that's just my thought, but. The um, tell me about why there be no video at at the expos or or uh, or photographs. What was like? What's the rationale behind that? Um, as far as I understand, it's more or less uh, like an animal rights kind of prevention tactic, essentially. Uh, just because I mean, one show in the world doesn't allow photos and videos. I don't think in the grand scheme of things, it's going to make that much of a difference. But I know, especially in Canada, there's a couple different organizations that are really implementing strong laws against uh, specialty pets or exotics or whatever you want to call them in general. Um, like I know in Winnipeg, uh, <laughs> a mutual podcasting friend, uh, Dylan Perrin uh, from Animals at Home is from there, from around there. And his, like the legislation there was basically allowing you to keep like five different species of herps period it was like crested geckos uh cow kings or something there was like a tree frog on there and that's it like there was a very short list so that's kind of been the trend at least here in canada is allowing allowed lists rather than banned lists so that's kind of the rationale behind it is to not give any fuel to the fire not not dump any gasoline on the fire and just allow those of us like myself, uh, Dion from Reptiliatus, a couple different people who have YouTube channels that come to the expo to promote it in a more positive light, I suppose, and kind of highlight things as well. And I guess something that also changed that I didn't mention was uh, the sizes of containers that things had to be kept in. Um, I know like the rules for snakes and whatnot were you couldn't have it touching three sides of the bin. Um, so like the ball python people were, uh, were freaking out because they keep theirs in little tiny glass or acrylic cases. Right. So they had to adjust those. They had to move them. They had to buy bigger containers. There's a lot of panic. It seems to have kind of, uh, I guess slid back to the norm now, but for the first few shows, it was like they'd walk around and check your booth. And if you didn't comply, then you'd be kicked out. Um, but I, I guess getting back to the main point. Yeah, it was, it was mostly to combat the animal rights activists and uh, those whole group of people uh, that uh, are anti pets. So I get it, but it was kind of annoying. <laughs> I mean, I could see it as a good thing. I know since you're a, you operate with the visual media, I could see it kind of being aggravating. I mean, me, no one actually sees my face, my face at all, so <laughs> I don't have a visual presence. But yeah, I, I mean, I could I could get behind that just because I feel like at least, I mean, here here in New, it's funny because in the U.S. 
our regulations vary by state by state, even by municipality, like depending on how deep you get into it. And a lot of us look kind of covetously at like Canada. And then we hear about someone's experiences in Canada and it's like, all right, no, you, you guys can, you guys can have that fidget iguana. We'll deal. <laughs> we'll, we'll, you, you guys can have that. We'll, we'll give you that, but we'll, we'll have everything else. But um, I mean, it's, it's not like that everywhere, but. Every time I post a picture or a video of Totoka, the Fijian bandit iguana, people are like, oh my gosh, I wish we could have them. And I'm like, honestly, I love him, but you guys are allowed to keep so much more than we are. <laughs> like, so much more. So I, it's, it comes, I guess, the good with the bad. Yeah, that's that's not a species that you want to mess around. <laughs> you want to mess around with. No. Yeah, no. I, I remember some some stories from the old days about that species, but um, we're gonna stay on track with the amphibian topic, though. So <laughs> we're gonna defer. But yeah. um, how do how do they enforce something like that? I mean, if you everyone has a phone or something like that, how, if they see someone taking pictures, where like like security just goes over and just tells them to put the phone away. As far as I understand, yeah, like I think it could be as bad as you'd get kicked out, but I, I imagine, like I didn't see anybody get kicked out for the for the photos or anything. Like like I said, I mean, I don't think anybody really actually cares except for the people putting on the show, and even them, I think it's more of like a uh, kind of like a deterrence than it is really like a rule. Uh, if you're caught doing it numerous times and yeah, maybe you'd get kicked out. But if it's just like a once, it's just like, Hey man, like just put your phone away. And I'm sure if you were like, Oh, I'm just sending a picture to my girlfriend or whatever, they probably would allow it. Like, I don't think there's that stringent on it. So, but, but I don't know. I didn't see anybody get caught or kicked out. So <laughs> that'd be wild to see like someone just get like bum rushed, like out of <laughs> the expo. But well, especially cause the expo is here that like the, the price for expos here in Toronto is so high. It's like, I want to say $18 a person. And then there's like a slight discount for families and stuff. But that's like, that's a lot, <laughs> especially just for like a relatively small expo. Um, it's kind of, I don't know, in, in my mind, it's, it's very high, but I, I guess I understand that there was no shows for two years and no revenue for two years and all that. So I'm sure it's partially just things like venues have probably gone up all the renting companies and insurance and security. Like I know there's a lot that goes into it, but just the face value of seeing 18 bucks for one person, you're like, Holy smokes. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Around here, the expos, I think it's about maybe $10, but bear in mind, I haven't been to an expo since around probably since like the spring, spring or fall of of 2019 so it's it's been a long time for me because here in new york when the original covid situation happened it, it got it got really out of control here really fast and we were yeah. we were the first part of the united states that really got the full brunt of it and i, I mean to be honest yeah. it was it was it was scary and everything everything closed down and the expo the expo site that's here up in white plains which is just kind of north of new york city was converted into a, it was supposed to be a field hospital and it was never actually used, but they kept it as a field hospital for about a year. And then they transitioned it into a vaccination site, like a mass vaccination site, which they, they did with a lot of places around, around here. And I don't think that they're having a show until like 2022. So oh, wow. I would pay $18 very easily to 
go to <laughs> go to one now because it's been such a long time. Yeah. But, what's the what's the frequency out there? Because I know in Calgary, um, there would be basically two expos in Calgary a year, and then one in Red Deer, so like an hour and a half outside of Calgary, and then. But here, like in Toronto, it's every month. It's like every three to four weeks on the dot. Here, where I live, the the New well, there's there's kind of a group of expos. There's um, there's one in New Hampshire. There's one in, in New York, and there's one in Long Island. And there, there might be one other one other one on there. I'm not quite sure, but okay. the the White Plains episode uh, episode the whites the White Plains <laughs> <laughs> the White Snake episode the White Plains <laughs> Expo. Excuse me. Uh, that happens, I think, four, maybe six times a year. I think I think it happened quarterly, and the one where I live on Long Island was generally like twice a year, depending on mm. what would happen. It was originally supposed to happen back in October, but it was canceled last minute because I was at uh, American Frog Day, which was up in uh, not in White Plains, but it was kind of in that area, and I was originally going to go the next day to the Long Island Expo, and I found out from a couple of people who were just a lot of them from New York City and Long Island too, that it was canceled the next day. So I was like, all right, well, whatever. It is what it is. But it's yeah. it's been a long time since I've been I've been to an expo. But the expos here aren't like Tinley Park or like some of the other like really, really big expos that are kind of in like the center part of the country. So I don't really know. I've never been to something like that. So I'm not really sure in terms of like what the cost and like price point is to get in and out of those places. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, it's got to be fun to be able to get back out there again, but so oh, it is. Yeah. Which which frog species are you working with now? I know you kind of downsized your your frog collection a little bit, but what are you working with today? Uh, what do we got in here? We got the Crozier Highlight Crespidopus. We got uh, one Ufaga uh, Pumilio Elmarente, or not Elmarente? Actually, it's the Eldorado. He's he's been struggling since I got him. And I, I don't know if he's going to pull through or not. Uh, and then Bree just got her first dart frogs. And that is the um, Rantamea Vanzolini. And what else do we got frog-wise? Am I missing something? I don't think so. I think that's that's all. The, the frogs have been greatly uh, down. Oh, no. We got the Amirga Bacillari Sisa as well. So that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So you definitely downsized, right? I mean, you had what, probably like a, like a, a dozen different species the last time we spoke, I think you had, I don't know if it was that many, but you had a few, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think last time we had, or I had, yeah, probably six or so. Um, just over time, like the El Marente that I had, uh, my buddy, I just had one sole female and my buddy <laughs> just got a pair and was like, oh man, like if you ever sell your Elmerente female, like let me know, I'll buy it. So I was just like, honestly, he's, he's my vet as well. So I was like, yeah, here you go. You can just take them and, and, and breed her and make some more froglets. And then um, I'm looking at looking at going for some larger Ufaga, hopefully in the new year. Uh, we're, we're looking at a couple different orders and such that might come into Canada. So kind of making room for some other more i don't know if you want to call it like dream frogs or whatever whatever you want to call it but uh the the cruiser highlight also really really like to produce i think 
after kind of drying them out and feeding them, I think I might have two females. So not necessarily a bad problem to have, but annoying. <laughs> yeah, tell us about your experience with uh, with Craspidopus, because you and I spoke like last week, and we, we actually got quite into it. But why don't you mm-hmm. kind of run us through it again in terms of like how you got, I, mean, I know you, had, you kind of had a rocky start. And then you ended oh, yeah. up, you sort of ended up in the zone and you recently moved them into a more naturalistic type vivarium. You want to walk us through the process? Yeah, yeah. So I guess starting at the beginning, I don't know how detailed we want to go, but essentially they were imported, as far as I know, they were imported from Europe. Um, but I have a feeling what ended up happening, and they said they were captive bred there, but I'm calling kind of calling BS. Um he as far as i gather i imagine they were ordered from peru as little baby froglets sent to europe and then basically from europe put on a plane back to canada so needless to say of like 10 or 15 frogs i think three made it total um which is heartbreaking but the unfortunate reality of those kind of strings um and I ended up with two. We ordered, me and my buddy went halfsies. We each ordered three. Um, A bunch ended up coming DOA. And he ended up with two. And I ended up with zero. So he at one point just said, listen, I'm not wanting to keep these anymore and sold them to me. So I had a group of, oh no, one lived for me. And then I had a group of, oh no. I'm getting my stories confused. Sorry. <laughs> I ended up with his two. Uh, and then we ended up getting replacements for f- three of them. One of those replacements ended up living. And in the move here, one of mine died. So <laughs> it was basically, I have two now. Uh, and they were living in one of the Stairlight tubs for shoot, I guess about a year and a half or so, maybe maybe close to two years. Um, they did great. Uh, the ones that I had did fine. Grew really well, ate really well, very active at night. Uh, unfortunately, one of our mutual friends, Troy, uh, was continuously heckling me and and uh, pestering me to move them into a larger or, or more visible setup. And I ended up doing that about probably two months now, somewhere around there, one and a half to two months ago. And they're doing great. Um, They're just in one of those new Exoterra Frogs & Co. tree frog tanks, the 181824s. And I I can't complain so far. They're active. They're very healthy. They're thick. And I kind of put them in like a winter mode. Like our lights in our room are, I mean, right now I'm sitting in complete and total darkness, but um, they go off at like 7 and so they're kind of on like a weird cool down and they're dry as well. So there's no water running in the tank. Like I took all the water in the bottom of the tank out and they're misted like three times a day, very sparingly. So they're, they're doing well. They're putting on weight and I'm excited to kind of kick things back off come probably February, March, kind of when the lights start to come back on and stay on longer and, I'll put in some water and enjoy the <clears throat> hopeful, hopeful egg laying. Um, I know I have a friend locally here that has several Cruiser Hyla, and I'm hoping that she's willing to kind of loan me her mail for uh, a little while 
and hopefully make some make some little tadpoles. Yeah, it's such a beautiful species. I um, it, it, I'll tell you though, it really is. It's such a a weird experience though when you move them out of that quarantine tank and you think to yourself, all right, like this animal did very very well in this sterilized tub, and should I? upset the apple cart and move it into this really planted vivarium only to have it like drop dead a day later which unfortunately as we all know happens but oh yeah yeah i i saw i saw the build that you did on on youtube how did you like the the new the exoterra like the, the tree frog tank like how did it work out as opposed to some of the more traditional ones um it so mine had some flaws that apparently not many had uh my door essentially like jammed shut or jammed open like it's very difficult to close properly and if you close it you essentially need pliers to open it again so that was an interesting uh series of events but exoterra basically got back to me and said yeah that's not that's not the norm in fact you're the only one that's ever reported this um beyond that though i love it like um it keeps humidity way better than i expected it to because the, the back half of the tank is screen but even when I looked in there, it's like 65, 70% humidity. And that's with only me misting like two times a day. And I mean, we're in a basement, so it's not overly dry, but it's also certainly not humid. Like we're now in winter time. So the furnace is running and I, I believe the ambient is like 35, 40 in the room. So it definitely keeps humidity up. And if you're misting any more or when I had the water running in the bottom, it's like 85, 90% without any misting. So it, it actually does way better than I expected it to. And overall, like the, the drain in the bottom that's already pre-drilled is fantastic for, for us froggers. Uh, and yeah, I, I think like overall, I'd probably give it like a seven out of 10, something like that. Sounds sounds reasonable. I mean, I I've I modify everything that I have anyway. Like my, I just have the regular exoterras, and I just cut like pieces of glass to cover up those four vents. But yeah, I don't know. It's everybody's everybody's got their own different. I mean, in retrospect, there are quite a few things that I would have done differently. But unfortunately, now I've kind of made a lot of these tanks almost permanent fixtures in my room. So if I ever do a major overhaul, that would be my priority would be to kind of switch around some of the enclosures, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, it's such a matter of personal preference because some people love it just like nice and simple. And some people like it a little bit more, a little bit more elaborate. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Like we, we're always in such a string of, (laughs) of, purchasing new tanks and then building them or having them sitting around because like right now we're working on the the big fijian bandit iguana tank which i mean it'll probably be a couple more days worth of work and then it'll be done it's just carving out those whole days that <laughs> worth of work to actually focus on it uh, and there's so much other stuff going on but um yeah there's there's a lot of a lot of tank builds hopefully some new frogs and such uh, that will be joining the the reptile room soon so i'm pretty excited what about your amarega i mean you've you've i saw that was in one of your recent videos too you've kind of got them growing out in rubbermaid and they're producing yep. for you how how did that start and what 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 uh what methods did you get to um get them to breed uh <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you to be totally honest <laughs> just, I, just put two of them three, together 
Yeah, like we have a group of four in that bin. Um, the one male is missing an eye, which we didn't notice because I got them as little froglets, right? And I didn't notice it right at the very beginning. But yeah, he's he's missing an eye, so that's interesting. Um, and then the other, the females in there, they're all happy. Like I know earlier when we were talking, just before we started recording, they were calling and and they're they're doing great so i miss them once a day for like five ten seconds if that uh and then they have a water dish in there that stays full and that's where they drop the tadpoles like i was i was actually in costa rica and my girlfriend just messaged me and was like hey so what do i do and she got a picture of the male carrying the whole backpack full of tadpoles i'm like uh just make sure the water is full and it should be fine. They should dump them in there and then we can put them in a little frog ring or tadpole rearing bin after when I get back. And that's what we did. So hopefully we'll have froglets in the next couple months. Are you rearing them communally or individually? Currently communally. I started raising my epipeda babies communally. I, um, what I, what I ended up doing was I mirrored a, a couple of people do this. I don't know what your setup is like too. I mean, by all means tell me, but I just took a Rubbermaid bin with 50% RL, 50% tap, and I put a little mm-hmm. sponge filter in there with some Java moss and just fed the hell out of them. And so far, I've been having much better development. That's very similar to what we have. We don't have a lot of space for like a big Rubbermaid. We just have a, man, I don't even know, maybe like a 64-ounce container with a little cutting of pothos, um, some leaves in there, and a little bit of moss. and same thing, just feeding them, changing the water when needed. And they seem to be doing well so far. There's definitely some things that I want to tweak. Like I would love to have more of a, a Troy-esque style where it's set up with a Rubbermaid and a little filter. Uh, eventually we'll get to that point. But <laughs> as a as kind of a panic, this was a solid solution. And it seems to be working. So we'll find out, I suppose. <laughs> It's it's actually it's pretty easy. I mean, I just well, I mean, it isn't a huge rubber made, but maybe a five gallon equivalent, whatever that is. And it's oh, just yeah, I guess it, that's not bad. Yeah, it takes. I mean, again, they're 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 pretty small, so true. I mean, that with with the filtration and just. I mean, to be honest, I haven't really done much in the way of water change. It's like the Java moss kind of cleans it up, but yeah, whatever biofilm forms around the sponge filter, they seem to like and just. Just feed like it's amazing how much they actually eat. I know people say dark frog tadpoles don't eat much, but they form it's a mob scene. And I think that, like, yeah. my, my failures in the past, I think just weren't feeding them enough and not feeding them the right stuff. Because since I added more of a high quality food and then I've, I've also added in some, some protein, that mm-hmm. seems that at least seemed to have helped me. Like, when I added, a, I don't know if it was just for epipeda babies, and I've mentioned this before, but what I actually did was I sprinkled a very, very small amount of Beardy Buffet in there. And they seem oh. to like that too. In addition to, I, I just started using the Rapache, what is it? I think it's like the morning, whatever it is, like the morning wood or something like that. Yeah. And they yeah. go like crazy on that stuff. They just like, I'll put like a little bit in there and it's 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 gone within like an hour. Oh, good to know. I was just going to ask what you fed them, but that's, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. No, Troy feeds the Soylent Green. That's it. So what I'm, it was. That's what it was. I'm sorry. Soylent Green. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to try that. It's hard finding that stuff here. I need to look online and see if I can just order it. But um, I, I noticed that like none of the actual physical stores here carry any of that stuff, which is strange. But 
I mean, <laughs> I guess whatever I can order it. So I'm, I'm going to order some of that stuff. And right now we're just feeding some like algae wafers and some little frog pellets. Yeah. I had a hard time finding it as well. I look for it for quite some time. And I think that the, the story that I heard, I mean, I, I hope I can do it justice, but I, I'd heard an interview with Alan Rapashi and it might've, I might've been uh, Philippe as well, but um, both of whom I'd love to get on the show, but the I think the story was a lot of these products were actually designed for tadpole rearing back when they used to do like high volume, like um, like white street the frog whites. productions. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the private sector wasn't really trim, like the market for that wasn't really huge. So I think they branded it in such a way that they could sell it for fish and whatever mm-hmm. else. But I think that we kind of went back to its original purpose was for tadpole nutrition, but. I often wonder if it was branded more towards frog community, if it would sell better, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not, a, I'm no marketing <laughs> genius, so I have no idea, but so yeah, I mean, if, if Alan and Philippe are listening, I would really love to have the both of you on the show. If that's ever, if that's ever in the realm of possibility, but yeah, it's an interesting yeah, story. Epic. Yeah, definitely. So you went to Costa Rica, which is one of the high goals of any really any herper i can imagine at, at least people um outside of central and south america anyway you want to walk us through the whole trip i mean you you, you well first off you brought a couple of people with you. you you brought um tell us who you brought with you and how you ended up there in the first place yeah so I, it wasn't me i didn't plan the trip i i have to give that all all the credit to dion and uh christian from sierra wild that's the tour group that we did I'm not paid to say anything and and I know it's your podcast, but if you guys are really looking for a good time in Costa Rica, uh, he also offers some in other countries as well, like some tours, the CR wild, uh, it's just like sealwild.com. Uh, it, they are fantastic. Like the whole trip was all planned with them. It was all in their hands and, and they definitely showed us a good time. Uh, now with that said, uh, Dion had originally gotten emailed from him and they ended up basically working out that Dion would go on this trip. And this is Reptiliatus on YouTube. Uh, he would go on this trip and essentially we would get like a discount on the trip for promotion. And so that's what happened. Uh, and apparently it was like three or four months before he messaged either myself or Adam, uh, Wiccan's Wicked Reptiles to go on the trip. Uh, and all of a sudden he just messaged me out of the blue and literally just said like, um, do you guys want to come to Costa Rica with me? <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, a, how much is it going to cost? And B yes. <laughs> so long story and lots of planning later, we ended up in Costa Rica. Um, we ended up doing kind of like a hybrid trip. Uh, we didn't follow one of their specific plans. We basically just made like our own kind of, I guess plans like a custom trip, which they do allow you to do. Um, and it was, we spent three nights and like three and a half, almost four days on the Caribbean side near Securities. Uh, and then we spent one night in the cloud forest, which I really, really, really want to go back to. And then three nights in the Pacific. So um, we kind of covered a, a lot of the country and there was a ton of driving and a relatively small truck. Uh, thankfully being the size person that I am, I, uh, I got to snag the front seat for the whole trip. So that was, that was a bonus. Uh, um, 
but it was it was a lot of fun like we we stopped we had dinners at like local cafes we all ate all their food uh, he was very accommodating uh with anything hey do you guys need an energy drink do you guys need this do you need that like it was super super easy in in our case like we didn't really have to do all that much and man i tell you the guides they brought on there like if, if people are watching this i have a video that or i guess listening to this i have i have a video that i posted of the trip uh the first of probably a series of like three videos and it was fairly well received uh it's definitely my favorite video i've ever made and i gave kind of a credit to the to the guides and man, those guys are, are the unsung heroes of the jungle. Like their eyes for things, they know all the calls of the frogs. They literally tracked a Cruzio Hyla Sylviae by mimicking its call and calling back to it because both the males and the females have a call. And so that's what they were doing. We were just walking through the jungle and you'd hear them make some weird sound. And we didn't really think anything of it. It's kind of one of those like, meh, whatever, like... <laughs> The, the the guides are being the guides whatever and then all of a sudden he's like hey look up and yeah it was it was right in front of us so man it was just such a good trip like it's hard to put it all in words especially in a succinct kind of timeline but it was it was a lot of fun that's got to be amazing i remember well, the, I mean, the farthest I ever got into the tropics, when I was a kid, we went to San Juan in, in, in Puerto Rico. That was probably around maybe like 89 or something like that. And it was just wild. I mean, I just remember seeing things in, in the hotel. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you'd yeah. have like animals or something like that, or just like some little native species. And you'd be like, wow, it's crazy. And like, like, like local people would be looking at you like you were out of your mind. But <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's such an experience, I guess. I mean, where I live, we have, we have, there's a few harps, but you could probably count on your hands what you're going to see regularly. So what was, what was the, the wildest thing that you, I mean, was there anything that really surprised you that you saw there that you didn't expect? Um, not, I, I mean, I'm going to sound super jaded when I say this, but nothing crazy. And then to be honest, uh, Probably the coolest thing that we ended up seeing was a uh, philodendron varicosum, like in the wild, and that was probably the thing that I got the most excited for because I I was the one that saw it and was like, oh my goodness, what are these cool plants? Like, whoa! And I kind of lost it probably more than I should have about that. But I mean, like, don't get me wrong. With that being said, there was some crazy herbs that we found, um, like the Cruzio hylas sylviae. I was fortunate enough to have seen one before, like from my first trip in 2019, but for the other guys and, and again, myself, like it was still one of the coolest frogs out there. Like, so, so nice. Um, we didn't get to see the, I think it's, it was just recently reclassified. It's like the tripipion, um, the crowned tree frog, I think it is. Spinosa is its genus, I'm pretty sure. Or it's a species. Was it I think it was Anotheca spinosa? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what it was, is the Anotheca spinosa. Um and then unfortunately we didn't see one of those, but like we saw red eyes, we saw Pumilio, which was very interesting. Um the only two dart frogs that we saw on the trail, I suppose, were in or in broad daylight. 
were out in the middle of the sun. So that kind of calls into question how we're keeping them to a certain extent. And in my opinion, at least like it's, it's more of a, obviously I'd like to have more data and, and whatnot to actually argue it or, or to present it in like a succinct fashion. But it was very interesting because I brought my UVI meter as well as a temperature and humidity gauge and they were out and active bounding on an open lawn with not all that much cover in like seven to eight UVI. So pretty high. Um, and then the temperatures during the day out in the sun were like 32 Celsius or I want to say that's like high eighties Fahrenheit. I, I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate, but, uh, definitely some interesting finds that way. We saw a huge basilisk. Uh, some of the viewers might know us as like the Jesus Christ lizard or the lizard that runs on water, like massive, the biggest basilisk I've ever seen. Uh, and then unfortunately in the cloud forest, we didn't actually see all that much. Uh, we did see a, a viper, which was freaking awesome. And then that was the Bothrachus lateralis, or I think it's like the side sidelined pit viper or something like that. I don't actually know the, the, uh, the common name for it. And then, sorry, I'm just trying to go over it in my head. Um, oh, we saw Ufaga uh, granulifera. The I think it was the Baru morph. Troy told me that was that has to be one of my favorite frogs. <laughs> like it was just so red that it, it just blew me away. Uh, such a cool frog. Um, we did see an eyelash viper, which was pretty sweet as well. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I got stung by a bullet ant, so that was fun. Not really, but it happened. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, the gamut. Like I have a whole list on my phone of all the species that we saw and it's, I haven't actually counted, but it's probably over a hundred species, if not more. So a, a definitely a successful week in, in the jungle. That's incredible. You know, you're not the first or second person to tell me about seeing Pamilio out in really, really intense sunlight, almost like they were basking. I've heard it from quite a few people who've observed them in Costa Rica, and my ability to translate Celsius to Fahrenheit is abhorrent. And um, I'm I'm not even sure what Celsius would be, but uh, I think I think Mike Novi went there. And I think he tempted it like being like a hundred degrees or something like that on this yeah. little bottom of a log where these frogs were hanging out. And you're right. I think that we might need to base some of our husbandry practices more on what we're actually seeing. I mean, I, obviously I can't imagine cooking them under like full spectrum Agreed. UV 24 hours a day, but <laughs> yeah. just, just possibly providing it for a short period of time, you know, even like, like supplementation, for example, I mean, we, we, in, in, in the hobby, we supplement the hell out of our feeders to yeah, the point where like, I often wonder, are, are we, is there another way to do it? You know what I mean? Like if we, if we're providing UV within the correct parameters, are they going to be able to synthesize that vitamin D the same way that certain reptiles do? I, I don't know. 
you know what I mean? It's just, it's so hard to weed through that because a lot of the feeders that we have are not nutritionally that complete anyway. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's, I, I have a feeling that's going to be one of those things that's going to develop in the near future is lighting, lighting technology that's going to even become more tailored towards. Cause I mean, when you think about it, the lion's share has always been to species that were real heavily needed, like, like bearded dragons. I don't know what you're doing with your Euromastic, but I mean, my understanding is that they need a substantial amount of UV exposure. They do, yeah. So, I mean, like dart frogs, no one really gives it to them. So there's not, no. really, you know what I mean? So there's not a market for it, so people aren't going to do the research for it. As soon as there's yeah, a market and, and for I it. Think, sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's, I, I, as soon as there's a market for it, you know what I mean? Then you'll see research and money going towards it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that in, like... As a, I mean, as humans in general, I guess is is the broad sweeping statement. But I think we just kind of operate under a if it's not broke, don't fix it. And like, oh well, my fog are breeding, my this are breeding, my that are breeding, so they're obviously happy. And it's like, I don't know if that's <laughs> fair to say. In my opinion, I don't think breeding is really proof of like a happy or an enriched animal i mean if you threw two humans in a closet together i mean i'm not saying something would happen but probably and you know this it's not ideal conditions for a human to be in so i I get that that's kind of reverse anthropomorphizing but um yeah it's it's something to to think about for sure and something that i don't think a lot of thought really goes into in deep thought at least a lot of people are just like i said like oh yeah it's breeding whatever like it's good enough and i mean the counter to that is like troy and stuff like that who do who does offer some uv to their animals and i know it's becoming more popular my my friend indra has a uv come on over his histrionica for i don't know exactly but somewhere between like four and six hours a day um yeah, I, I think it's definitely becoming more popular, and, and I'm definitely excited to see it. So I'm very curious of how it will develop in the near, probably f- within five years, I imagine, things will change quite a lot. I feel like it's coming, especially since people keep a more diverse c- collection of species. I mean, you have a pretty eclectic collection. You keep all sorts of different stuff. And I yeah. mean, mine's, yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't keep, just keep dark frogs. I keep quite a few things as well. But it's it's such a hard thing to quantify because it's just so new, and yeah. I I wonder if we're ever gonna. I mean, like you said about about reproduction. Obviously, you can't necessarily measure an animal's ability to reproduce based on husbandry parameters, but can you base it on the quality of the offspring? Meaning, whatever kind of reproductive success, like like for example, like with a lot of the obligates, a lot of the obligates seem to don't really do particularly well as 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 froglets i mean they need so much attention you have to ask yourself like well is there is there something we're missing you know what i mean like just for mm-hmm. argument's sake hypothetically if we provided uva uvb in a certain amount is that going to result in healthier more vigorous offspring i don't know it's i guess we'll find yeah. out well and i think part of the problem like i know what's going on right now with uvb leds is unless it is a very superficial or or kind of a phenotypic or i guess just a visual effect 
nobody's really doing the the due diligence to actually discover it. Um, like I know for in the UVB LED case, like people are so adamantly against it. And there's also people that are the opposite and are very kind of blindly for it. And it's also like, okay, well, realistically, the only way to know if these UVB uh, or like vitamin D pathways are being bypassed to mediate D3 is if we're doing blood samples. And I think there are some going on now. Like, I don't know the people personally or anything like that, but I have heard kind of whispers that people are doing tests with it now and that's what it's going to take. But who wants to take a, a blood sample from a dart frog? <laughs> like how hard would that be? And unless it is like, I know you hear all the time with different Ufaga and stuff like, Oh, mine under UVB are, are more red. It's like, okay, well that's good. But like, you don't know what's causing that. I'm sure that UVB is not the only variable Maybe you added something new to your fruit fly mix or, you know, there's just so many different avenues that you can get lost in the weeds with. But uh, like I said, I'm definitely curious to see how it transitions in the coming years. Yeah. You know who honestly has really good content? Like I know we mentioned like Dylan Parent, like animals at home. And if you guys are listening, you haven't listened to Dylan's podcast. It's funny because Mike, I think we talked about it last time actually, because you, you, you did Dylan's podcast before you did mine, but Dylan has some like top notch guests with UV, UVA, yep. UVB, and I, me personally, I'm, I, I couldn't do it justice trying to explain all the science and specifics behind it. But the amount of effort that goes into figuring all that out is just it's it's incredible, and it's nice to see that there's going to be more. I mean, not even. I mean, let's just forget like lighting or whatever. I mean, because lighting is important, but just to figure out like the missing pieces to certain husband, you know, certain husbandry aspects. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, I think that that's coming down the pipeline and, and funny you say that. Cause now it's the opposite. I'm, I'm doing your show and I actually am on Dylan's show next week. So. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. You got me, you got the yeah. Costa Rica exclusive. The, the coast, I got the, I got like f uh, fresh off the presses. Uh, yeah, Bill, yeah. Bill Strand, Chameleon Academy. Bill also has some very, very good input with, um, with lighting and the value of UV and whatnot. I mean, obviously that's more tailored toward chame chameleons, but yeah, I feel like the more and more we're dialing in certain husbandry specifics, I mean, hopefully the better quality of life and, and, you know, better, um, you know, more, uh, I guess, well-produced offspring, I guess, because. I mean, mm -hmm. think about the stuff that we eat during the day. You know what I mean? I mean, human beings, we, <laughs> we eat garbage. So I don't know that we're all paragons of, of, of health and fitness. I don't know. I mean, hey, look, maybe certain frogs are just predisposed to be overweight and certain ones are disposed to be underweight. I don't know. But who knows? At least <laughs> at, knows? I, should, I should say that at least, at least in a captive setting, I guess, if they're on a very yeah. controlled diet. But um, I don't know. Now, when you went out in Costa Rica, did you go out at night? at all or you stayed out just during the day oh no we were out at night most of the time um i during the day there wasn't hold on let me rewind here so the first time we went um we stayed at the costa rican amphibian research center um brian kubicki he's described a ton of species and he's been a, a very cornerstone for the dart frog hobby especially 
and um, he we stayed at his kind of guest house there, and we did some day walks there. And granted, this is two dudes walking around in a rainforest. Like we weren't experienced, we didn't have guides, so we didn't actually see all that much in the daytime. And that held true in this most recent trip. We hardly saw anything during the day. Um, like we saw a couple of Faga, we saw the Aratus. Um, there were some like amoebas and stuff that we saw, some other lizards, but by and large, most of the animals were at nighttime. Um, the, the beauty and kind of the, the downfall of, of more equatorial living is that it's a very like 12 hours of light, 12 hours of darkness. And so it's light at like 5.30 in the morning and it's pitch black at 6 p.m. So we would typically get ready at like 4.35. We drive there and then we'd be out on the trails from, oh boy, 6-ish, 6.30, maybe 7, depending on how late we got there. And then we wouldn't come back until probably 1 or 2, sometimes even 3 a.m. So there'd be long, long nights of hiking. What was it? I mean, how often would you, was it, I'm, I'm just trying to picture it myself because I'm, I've never been there and I'm probably never going to go there. But I mean, how long did it take between running into one animal versus another? I mean, were you running into things constantly or were there gaps, you know, depending on where you went and how long it took to get there? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I would say probably the, the more notable species. Yeah. Half an hour ish between depending on kind of what we were doing where we were but i mean if you're looking at the ground you the longer you look the longer you'll or the the more you'll find like uh, i guess you said you haven't really been out there but anybody who has been there and has put a headlamp on at nighttime and you look and there is hundreds if not thousands of spiders all staring back at you because they have the the eye shine that you see like with crocs and alligators and stuff on Nature documentaries, they have the same thing, just obviously in a slightly less intimidating way. But you turn on your flashlight and you look at the ground or your headlamp, I suppose, and you look at the ground and it's like, it lights up. And you're like, oh, there's a lot of spiders here. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, most of which are just like little wolf spiders and little kind of, I guess, nothingness but there are Brazilian wandering spiders there. There are other different species of wandering spiders. There are some tarantulas. Uh, we did see one um, in a burrow, but it was like a massive, probably five inch, maybe six inch leg span. Um, and then, yeah, like the longer you look, the, long, the more you'll find. You can find cockroaches. You can find little ufaga. You can find... Um, I found a little bolitoglossa salamander uh, when I was dying on the one hike back. Like the second night was by far the worst night hike uh, and, and hardest hike that I've ever done in my life. And uh, being not in the best physical shape, I uh, <laughs> I struggled. And in my like death standing, waiting for a couple minutes as I caught my breath, I kind of looked over and I was like, hey a salamander <laughs> and we ended up finding it and, and showing it off. So it was really cool. Cause they are such a cool species. It was the, 
Oh boy, Bolotoglossa coronea or something. I, I can send it to you after if you're curious. But yeah, there was a it was it was I guess getting back to your main question, probably 15, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour in between one kind of notable species and the next. That's wild. It's interesting that you found a salamander of all things because the one of the highest concentrations of well, I shouldn't say concentration, but like one of the highest areas of, of salamander diversity in terms of species is actually in the southeast United yeah. States. And yep. there's like very, very I mean, there's salamanders in Central and South America, but nowhere near to the extent that they are here, whereas you have like this massive biodiversity of frogs and toad species. So that must have been a real well, that must have cool been really good one. Yeah, they're arboreal too. So like this one, this one was lower to the ground, but when I was in Belize, I actually found one as well, and it was like three, four feet up a tree. <laughs> like it was weird. <laughs> yeah, isn't that wild when you find something? It's like like when people say, "Oh, you know, like dwarf frogs don't climb. They don't climb." Like, yeah, they do. In fact, I'm I'm oh, yes, in my do. frog room right now, and I'm looking at one that is right at the top of the vivarium, just like sandwiched against the glass, but. Yeah, those are boreal salamanders. A lot of people don't know that. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, even even the first time we went to Costa Rica, there was um, an old telephone pole in like a patch of mostly just kind of clear cut, like low low laying grass. And on this telephone pole, about six feet off the ground, there was like a cluster of maybe five or six bromeliads. And sure enough, you look in there, and there's uh, Ufaga <laughs> calling away. I was like, how? It's a straight vertical climb with no way of you getting here otherwise. Like, there is no way. Unless, by some happenstance, some bird caught you and you happened to jump out at the right time. But it's just crazy to think about. Yeah, I don't think we give a lot of these things enough credit in terms of what they're fully capable of. Agreed. So, we uh, one, one, one last question before we part ways with costa rica sure the bullet ant (laughs) how did that happen and um how did that happen let's start out with that (laughs) uh so i don't don't know if you've seen the video that i posted but essentially we just found one crawling uh in the middle of like a patch of kind of two rivers not two rivers i guess little tiny streams basically but it was in a area with no water like a high point in there and it was just bouncing back and forth and in the video uh you hear you hear us kind of debating whether we want to get stung by it because i don't know it'd be kind of cool it would would get some views you know it would it could be interesting and our guide looked at us and goes i'll give you a banana if you get stung and we all kind of laughed it off like oh yeah i can't find those at home and and we kind of went on our way, not really thinking too much about it. But what clearly happened is one of us got too close. It climbed on us and then kind of followed us around. Um, and Adam had it actually on his face. There's a clip where it was climbing up his neck and he just kind of smacks his neck and it like falls off. And he's like, holy crap, that was a bullet ant. But nothing happened. And we kind of thought nothing of it because we were actually looking at some glass frogs and so we were staring completely memorized by these glass frogs filming taking pictures you know and then all of a sudden i just felt this thing on my neck 
and I smacked it, like smacked it like you would like a mosquito. And that was a mistake. <laughs> um, I should have brushed it rather than smacked it, but I smacked it and it stung me. And uh, turns out based on some subscribers, uh, I guess, feedback and comments and stuff, they were actually queen bullet ants. Um, now, I don't know what that means in terms of their sting, whether it's worse or better. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was a queen bullet ant. Like, he sent me a paper showing, like, scientific photos of the difference between a normal kind of soldier bullet ant and a queen. And sure enough, it, it was a queen. So, it, uh, I guess that's how it happened. Uh, I imagine you'll probably follow up with something like, how did it feel? And it hurt a lot. Not as much as you might gather from some like YouTube channels on the internet, <laughs> but it it like how I described it in the video was essentially if I struck and lit a, like an eternal match and held it, I don't know, a couple millimeters above your skin for like six hours, that's how it felt. So it, it didn't look like much. I was really hoping like when they filmed it, cause I mean, immediately I freaked out and they filmed it and it didn't look like anything crazy, but, uh, <laughs> it, it felt a lot worse than it looked. I got to ask, did you wear the coyote Peterson hat for the video? No, I wish I did. <laughs> I know he's wild. He's always getting stung by stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Jack's world of wild Jack, if you're out there listening and, and he he does videos like that too. He's always getting stung yeah. by all sorts of like horrific things. I got stung in the neck by a yellow jacket like quite a few years ago, and that was pretty miserable. The worst bite though was I don't know the exact I don't know the scientific name for him, but the vernacular here is yellow sack spiders. I don't know if you guys have mm. them up in Canada, but it there's a kind of a, it's kind of a weird story. Like, well, they're probably about maybe an inch long. Kind of, they're kind of like yellowish, yellowish white, and they build yeah. these little sacks up in like you look up in the look up at the ceiling, and where the wall meets the ceiling, they'll make these little sacks, and they'll still spend the day or night or whatever it is there. And the the, the funny thing is, they're actually attracted to cars. Now, the reason they're attracted to cars is because the the odor that the fuel gives off for some reason isn't attracting to them. So, car manufacturers have to actually have to make a, a safety feature on their cars that prevents spiders from getting into the fuel system. And this is actually a recall. I think Hyundai did a recall maybe about five or six years ago for that. So we used to find them in the car. It was like we call them car spiders because you'd find them like dead in the car. And I was oh. driving down this dark road and just like you, I felt something on my neck and I brushed it off. And bear in mind, it's like pitch black. I'm diving. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to die. I don't know what this thing is. <laughs> <laughs> so I brushed it off and it, it, it bit me and yeah. it's, they're, they're kind of on the hot side with the venom. Hmm. And uh, uh -huh. yeah, the next day my neck swelled up and my whole face turned red. It was, that was miserable. That was like a legit nasty bite. And I, again, I, I don't know enough about them to really be able to comment on it, but that was pretty unpleasant. I was, I was like, when you told me you got stung by a bullet and I'm like, like, my God, you made it out of there alive. That must have been horrible. I, I had a couple comments being like, oh, there's no way you got stung by a bullet ant. Like, 
they're so miserable, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, I know for a fact people like Coyote Peterson and all those guys played up for the camera. Like, I, I know that. And, like, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it was like, don't get me wrong. It's, I'd try to avoid it in the future. But there's also another part of me that's like, well, what if I just grabbed one and, like, let it really sting me and see how bad it really got? Because I wouldn't have described it as, like, getting shot with a, I mean, they get, that's where they get their name from. Cause it feels like you get shot. Like it's that much pain, but I definitely wouldn't have described it as that. But me knowing what I felt when I smacked it and looking at the ground and seeing the ant, it was like pulsing. And you know how some things like, I think you've, you keep tarantulas, don't you? Yes, I you? do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like sometimes when they'll either grab prey or uh, something happens or like even a spider or whatever, if you like freak out a spider, it'll just kind of sit there and like pulse for a minute. And then it kind of comes back to life and it's like, Oh, cool. <laughs> like Here we go. And bumbles off. That's exactly what the ant did. Like I smacked it, pushed it onto the ground and then pointed at it and was like, yeah, that was it. Like, I don't know what else it could have been because it was large, hard and hairy. And if you've ever seen a bullet ant before, that's exactly how I would describe it as large, hard, and hairy. So, like, people were calling out that I didn't, but I, I, I truly believe that I did. So, that's that's that, I guess. <laughs> well, all right. Everyone in the room who has been bitten by a bullet ant, raise your hand. Right? <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. So. It's like, how... I felt like replying to the the one person and I guess I'm probably putting too much weight on one comment, but I like the one person that actually decided to comment about it. Like, have you been stung by one? You know, what is your experience with this? Like chances are it's some dude, like, I don't know, preteens commenting from his mom's basement being like, Oh, well I've never been stung, but there's no way you could have been, you know, that kind of deal. So yeah, it's it's like okay, cool. If you don't, did your parents never tell you to? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I cut my finger. I cut the tip of my thumb off with a meat slicer last weekend, so that hurt. Um, I can assure yeah. I can assure people, regardless of what your comments are or what <laughs> what input you have, it wasn't fun, man. It wasn't fun, and I'm looking yeah, at it now. Not it's recommended. It, it still looks pretty horrific, but. Ugh. So I, I still would, I would, I think I would prefer what happened to me than what happened to you though, because uh, at least I know where I stand with the meat slicer. And I, I want to apologize everyone if this, if, if the holiday episode went a little bit off the rails here, but hey, <laughs> hey, it's, it, I told everyone it was going to be a casual episode. So True. what do you mean to tell you? So I want to discuss some of the content. And by that, I mean like what, what it's like to create content because you, you and I are both creators. We both have different media though. You have, you have YouTube, I have the, the podcast. Yep. You've hit, at least at the time of this, about the time of the release of this episode, you've hit just about 80,000 subs on YouTube. How's the channel yeah. doing? And um, what are some of the challenges that are associated with making content for YouTube, especially when you've got that size of a following? Um... Honestly, for me, I'm I'm a I'm a weird kind of breed of YouTuber. I'm like 
one of the originals like I, I mean Dion my buddy who I went on the trip with is another one of those guys like he was just like me he made his channel like 11 12 years ago didn't really get serious about it until the last couple of years and even myself like in my scenario I made it over a decade like I think I think this coming August will be 12 years and so I was just a kid like I was 13 14 putting stuff out there and at the time there was no thought of money there was nothing like my parents even now when they when I actually left and and moved out here they admitted like we really didn't expect this like stupid video that you put on the internet to actually like turn into something but like we're really proud of you and like honestly me neither <laughs> like it's it's pretty cool that i can actually make money posting videos on the internet and and enjoy doing it so i i guess for me the channel like you said is about at eighty thousand. and where i was going with that kind of starting a long time ago is a lot of the youtubers nowadays that you see whether it be pet tube i guess speaking pet tube specifically or or the pet side of youtube a lot of them are relatively new like in the last kind of handful of years whether it be three or four or five years whatever um, so they've experienced like a lot more explosive growth than I have. Uh, and I guess the reason for that is probably just like inconsistency and, and not really caring at the time. Like, I mean, what I have over all those people is that I did all of this through university as well. So like my main madness, I don't know if you're familiar, but I essentially for two or three years straight, I posted a video every single day for the month of May. And that the first time I did that, I was actually in spring classes in university. Like, I don't know. I, I guess it's just kind of like a testament to the dedication that I have for it. And I'm really proud of that. Like, it's, I'm not trying to brag or boast or anything like that. It's just something that I have on my paper that I, I really like. Um, and if there's any other kind of YouTubers out there, I suppose, or or aspiring content creators I know from my side there's a couple pieces of advice it, it's super cliche but just do it like you have an iPhone you have a Samsung the equipment that is available to you in your fingertips right now as you're listening to this podcast you can do it you can learn editing you can like it's beautiful there's either paid classes on like Skillshare you can learn it all on YouTube as well if you're dedicated. Um, there's a lot of different avenues to create, and it's all in your hands right now. Um, the other piece of advice I would say is consistency. Uh, I have not been the best with this, and I think that's also part of the reason why my channel growth has been so slow comparative to others, um, is just consistency. Like, day in and day out, show up post set set a, it doesn't even have to be a strict schedule but like aim for once a week once every other week and just stick to that like don't break it and if you can do that i mean my buddy adam wickens wicked reptiles is a is the like poster child for that he started his channel i, I don't know exactly but like two-ish years ago and he posted two videos every single week since that time and I think now he's at like 180,000 YouTube or YouTube subscribers. 
He's killing it on Patreon. Like he's living the dream. (laughs) So that's, that's that. (laughs) I don't know if you, I kind of got lost in my answer, but uh, that's, that's the long ramble. No, it's, it's not an easy answer because there's so many different dynamics that go into it. And I'm always curious. I mean, look, not that I'm not some like crazy content creator. I mean, just so everybody knows, like the, the podcast, you and I, I'm not a YouTube person. I don't. I've I've done a couple of things on YouTube for other people, but it's mm-hmm. not really me. But it's amazing how YouTube as a platform just blows podcasting out of the water. I mean, just for me, yeah. it's for me, it's more comfortable because I just I feel like I have a little bit more control. And again, it's just. I mean, it's well. The other thing is like the interaction with people, which is going to kind of get into my my next question, but. Yeah. Um. Because YouTube disabled the, they got rid of the dislike button. But I, I feel like for YouTube to continue to grow and succeed, it needs content creators to stay specific, especially like big heavy hitters and up and comers to complete that. I mean, it's like when you think about like a record label, you know what I mean? Like a certain record label, say it has like like Madonna. Like Madonna's going to be a like a long term thing, but you're going to need a new artist that's going to come out and be a heavy hitter every mm-hmm. couple of years. It's just it's the same thing like with with YouTube, especially since now it's in. I mean, it's been going on for God how long now? Like 15 years or something like that. But it's interesting how the whole animal like there's so many different like rabbit holes you can go down in terms of like YouTube content and yeah, like w- what I like about your content is it's it's just it's just you you're a regular guy you know what i mean you got a really cool collection you put a lot of effort into it and you don't go in for that whole like shock and awe type of thing which i feel like there's a lot of channels out there that kind of just show off like how crazy an animal could be and like for me it's like uh, i don't really see that doing very good for the hobby watching like you know some crazy like kill or something like that or some crazy live feeding i don't don't know i mean that's got its place but yeah i don't know i just i feel like your your content is like well thought out it's well executed and you have really good production value like so for for me i i like to watch your channel because i I, I no no you're welcome because i i i get something out of it i mean don't get me wrong there's all sorts of I, i like to watch a lot of stuff on youtube but (laughs) <laughs> that's a, that's at least what I I'm get from you. I'm the only one you watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 the only. I don't even follow people. Like I'm the I'm following Mike on on YouTube solely. But <laughs> but it's 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 interesting what you said about having to produce consistently because certain people like I, mean, I don't know. I mean, especially in like the the dart frog world, there's not a very large number of creators. I mean, like Troy's channel is unique because Troy. Troy's channel is just unique. It it, it has its yeah. it has all sorts of different things going on, mm-hmm. and I, I really don't see. The funny thing is, I actually associate your channel with Dar Frogs too, because you've kept Dar Frogs the correct way. Like you've done you've done builds and whatnot, but there really Thanks. isn't a tremendous number of Dart Frog specific YouTube channels out there. It, it always kind of seems to be like an adjunct to yeah. to something else, or even like I mean the tree frog stuff. I know there's like there's different. Like the like the White's tree frog rabbit hole is kind of like it's a it's a different like they're more like dogs and cats to some people than they are like yeah. Trek classical exotics. 
which is a whole other other thing in and of itself. But I mean, how how like at the end of the day, do you think to yourself like, oh, I, I have to get a video out soon or else it's going to become a problem? Because like with me, I, I don't like to rush episodes, but there are certain times where I'm like, OK, I, I have to really get caught up here if I want to produce consistently. Like, does that kind of take some of the fun out of having animals, knowing that you have to kind of work to keep that channel going? Um, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it's a job. And, and I like, you always hear that comment of, Oh, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. BS. (laughs) Like no matter how much you love animals, there will be a time where you just want to go hang out with friends, but no, you got to sit here and finish this video or take care of this animal because something's happening and, and, and it's work like it is. And that's not to say that I'm not grateful for where I am. I'm not, uh, and, and just people in general, like I'm not calling anybody out, but like it's, it, it, it does become a job after a certain amount of time. And I, I really think that myself personally, like you asked if, if it kind of becomes like a job and you're asked, you know, it's like, Oh, I have to get something out or it's going to become a problem. And, and YouTube especially is kind of a uh, a killer in the in the sense of the algorithm because that consistency seems to be a very big factor of whether it pushes your channel. And when I was out here, kind of debating moving to Ontario um, that summer, I guess it would have been, I guess summer of 2020. Um, I spent like three months out here with none of my animals. Now Bree had animals. And so I had reptiles the whole time, but I wasn't at all making really any videos. I I basically was just silent for like three months and Oh oh boy, (laughs) that, that hurt the, the ego and, and hurt the, the whole growth machine that is YouTube. Like you could definitely tell me coming back and still like I'm not at a point where I was both growth wise view wise income wise at a point where I was like three years ago because I was posting so consistently at that time I'm still like clawing my way back out of it and and to a certain degree like a couple videos blow up and you're like okay cool I'm back right where I was um but like you said I, I really pride myself on trying to keep my videos less so about like crazy this eats this and oh my gosh there's blood everywhere and keep it more to you kind of get what you want like you'll get a reptile build you get a reptile room tour almost once a month and you'll get videos in between whether it's a build whether it's dart frogs whatever um, I, I really do try. And and like with this Costa Rica thing, like that video, I like killed myself for. <laughs> uh, it was probably in that like whatever it was, 15 minute video. I bet you between looking through all the footage, editing, uh, like sound design, all the little ocean sounds drone shots everything those are all silent like any noise on there was done by me in post so i probably put like 30 hours worth of editing in that 
And that was like, I had computer problems and all this crazy stuff. So I'm super proud of it. And I'm very happy of where I am now, but yeah, like, (laughs) like you said, again, getting lost in an answer, but, um, the, it, it definitely becomes a job and it definitely is like, even now I'm in the middle of editing a video right now as we're recording this. And I'm like, Oh boy, it's going to be a late night. Cause I really should have it out tomorrow because you know, then I got to get working on next week's video and the holidays are coming and all this stuff. So there's definitely stress associated, but for those people who are making it a living and, and actually like a, a real adult living, <laughs> not just living in, you know, making a couple hundred bucks a month, like actually paying the bills, owning a house, that kind of deal with YouTube and this as an income, I could definitely imagine that being super stressful because it's not a, yep, you know what? I'm putting in my 40 hours this week. I'm punching in, punching out, go to work, come home, enjoy my animals. It's like a constant fear. Like, oh, I hope this video does well. Oh no, it's not getting clicked on as much. Like, can I change the title? Can I change the thumbnail? It's it's a whole rabbit hole that a lot of people don't realize, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't think people fully grasp the amount of effort that goes into production because like I mean especially like you have to edit video and audio. I mean I have yeah. I have audio and again I'm I'm by no means any kind of you know I had some experience with pro audio when I was younger but that was like 25 years ago and now everything's digital so it doesn't work. But mm-hmm. I mean it's for, for me between reaching out to a guest and original correspondence and I, mean, I have a whole process that I do. Anybody who's been on the show knows it. I'm just, I like things to run very, very smoothly. It's a process. Yeah. And between doing yeah. that recording and then editing for me, it takes about seven hours to make an episode. Mm-hmm. That, that's about an hour and a half maybe. And for you, I mean, it's taking you upwards of 30 hours. So people yeah. look at this content and think, Oh, I could do it. I could do it. It's it's really challenging, and if you are, I mean, I don't make I, I make nothing off of this. Just just so that everybody knows, I I, I make like nothing. I appreciate yeah. everyone who's I do appreciate everyone who supports the show. I mean, that helps me with the um with the the, the hosting site because I I don't I refuse to run commercials because it just it 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 bothers me, and I really don't want people to have to sit through some crazy commercial during my episode. So yeah. that 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 support, but that's really all that that does. So, yeah. you know, with the, with the Patreon stuff, it basically just helps me keep the show commercial free and it mm-hmm. helps me and it helps me host the site. But for someone who's creating content as a living, and I, I know a couple of people who do that, people who have left day jobs to do YouTube full time in an animal capacity, and it's a lot of work. I mean, I mean, look, you're at, you're multitasking right now. So, I mean, at the end of the day, people are like, oh, this guy's making a killing on YouTube. Like, no, you're working. 18 hours a day between recording and editing and everything else and then promotion. What are you making at the end of the day? Like $3 an hour? You, you know what I mean? Oh, like yeah, you're I still, imagine. yeah, you're making a decent living, but you're really, really working very, very hard for it. Mm-hmm. And like, I know me specifically, it like, I, I, the only reason I'm able to do this is because I live with my girlfriend's parents and have very low like rent and stuff like that. Like, especially in Toronto. I mean, if like to give you and the viewers a bit of context, those are the, that don't know. Uh, if I was to rent like a 700 to a thousand square foot apartment where I am now, it would probably cost me upwards of two grand a month just for rent. That's it. No utilities, no Wi-Fi, nothing. So 
yeah, like it's it's a very expensive place that we live, uh, especially just like the greater Toronto area in general. But I mean, all across Canada, like it it goes down in kind of middle of nowhere type cities. But again, like it's it's especially keeping animals, it's hard to live in those cities because then you got to worry about supply chain and feeders and so many different aspects and. I kind of envy when, when I see like tech channels and I'm, I'm a bit of like a, I guess a tech guy myself. Like I love keeping up on the newest iPhones and video cameras and stuff like that. And I look at those channels and it's like, they get sent this free product from Samsung. And I know they had to work there, but like they get sent this free product. They make a video, they use it, they enjoy it. They finish their video and they're done. They get to go home. They get to, do the standard things that YouTubers do, whether it's (laughs) hunting over your analytics or planning a new video, whatever. But for us animal keepers, there's that extra aspect where our video subjects, we don't get to throw them in a box and forget them in a closet. (laughs) We have to look after them day in and day out. And we don't have the option. Like there is no option. You can't just say, Oh, I don't want to go in the room today. You have to. Things need to be misted. Things need to be watered. Things need to be fed. Like, there's just uh, I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining. By the way, I I love what I do. It's just a lot of. I think it's a harsh reality to a lot of people that don't. Like, if you don't know, you don't know. Kind of situation. I often wonder what people, what kind of expectations people have out of content. I mean, I don't know if people like to enjoy content just to take their minds off of things, which I mean, I know I do. I, I don't, a lot of stuff I watch and just as a creator, I think to myself, well, how did the, how was this done? How did this person do this? How did, you know, like, all right, like I'm watching like one of your videos. All right. Well, how did, how did Mike pull this off? What did he do? What kind of mic was he using? What kind of lighting was he using? I mean, just really for my own curiosity, but I wonder if people really give that amount of thought to it, or if it's just kind of like, I just want to put on YouTube and just sort of chill out and, and, and relax, you know? I mean, yeah. I often wonder about the kind of engagement that people get. Like, let's just say that you were, let's just say that you put out a poll for your audience. Say, all right, out of a hundred people, how many of you actually want to know what went into making this content? You know what I mean? Like what, I mean, yeah. it might be everybody. I, I don't know. It's just one of those things I've always been curious about. Yeah, I'm not sure with like the YouTube. I mean, I know myself personally, like I love watching and I I guess to be like clarify before I go into it, like I think creatives like yourself and myself and other people that are into the YouTube or podcast or whatever game, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think we think differently than a lot of other people when it comes to our entertainment, like especially those of us that do audio or visual, because we know that this weird transition or like I mentioned, like the drone footage, like it's silent coming out of the drone. So I was just watching like blue planet with my girlfriend yesterday. And it's like all this underwater footage had no sound. All those swirls and swishes of you hear the fish going by are all post-production. Like that's wild to me. But I know when I'm sitting watching a TV show with her dad or something like that, it's like, they don't think about that. They're just like, whoa, cool fish. <laughs> so it's, it's, I think it's different both ways. But yeah, myself, I'm like, ooh, what, what microphone are you using? What, what editing software? Like, are you using Adobe Audition? Are you using Final Cut? Like, are you using whatever? You know, I always think that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, it just intrigues me how people. I mean, maybe it's just with 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 everything because I've always been curious about how things are made and whatnot. I don't remember those those documentaries, how it's, how made. it's made. Yeah, I, yeah. Lo- I love watching that stuff. But um, there's just so much that goes into creating any any kind of media that's going to be shared with with anybody else. I don't know. I just I always I just wonder like what people what people think. I mean, when you have comments and stuff like that, like what would you what would you say the bulk of your comments are or the bulk of your interactions with with viewers are um i think that a lot of it is positive i guess i'll say first off um i don't know if that's just because like my channel hasn't really gotten to the point of kind of, like i've never had a crazy insane viral video or anything like that um and, and in the grand scheme of things like my channel is not that big of a channel. So, and like the average video doesn't get that many views. So I think a lot of the the people who catch videos are generally more skewed to be positive because they know myself, they know my channel, they know what's going on rather than kind of Joe blow. That's looking at like a best beginner reptile or something like that. Like I have a video like that, but by and large, most of the audience isn't that. So I think a lot of those style videos bring a younger, less experienced audience to the table. And I think in that sense, maybe it'll be more of like, you should do this. You should do that. My gecko is sick. What do I do with it? But in my case, a lot of the anim- like the comments and interactions that I get are just, hey, man, great video. Love your stuff. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Really excited to see what's next. And that's kind of it. <laughs> like there or what was your lighting set up in your Euromastix tank or something like that? There are a lot more specific questions. So you're not getting people like what kind of lens did you use or, or like any of that stuff or do you get that too? Um, not, not, no, not really. Um, I, I do get occasionally like I'll have somebody, Oh, what camera do you use to film this with? Or what? Yeah. Like you said, like what lens did you use to take this picture or, or whatever. But I also think like my, I know specifically Troy gets those questions all the time. And I think that's just because he, he puts a lot more thought and has also spent a lot more money on his camera setup than I have. So I think the the quality of his shots definitely show him improving as both a, like both a practice, I suppose, of actually the photos themselves, as well as the equipment. Like it's, he's not taking a picture with an iPhone and I'm not saying that you can't take a, good picture with an iphone but in most of the circumstances that like him or myself or even yourself are taking photos there's a big gap between a macro image of a frog and an iphone picture like there just is (laughs) so i I think that's probably why but by and large it's it's a lot of just kind of positive feedback so that's good to hear and i would like to hear more people like troy is one of those friends that (laughs) <laughs> i'll post a video and two hours later he'll be like solid video man good stuff or he'll be like dude one minute 33 seconds what the heck were you doing like why what is this weird thing that is here and it's like oh crap you know thanks for that i i appreciate the constructive criticism like when i ask friends hey what did you actually think of this video i don't want them to say it's good i want them to say Oh, you know, I thought the sound was a little bit too loud. I thought maybe you could have done this, like actual feedback for me rather than just that like 
positive feedback loop of it was good. Do more. It was good. Do more. That kind of deal. Yeah, I appreciate that too. And it's 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 funny you mentioned Troy because he's got the worst audio every time we do the every time we do an interview. <laughs> and I I just so everyone knows, I like to I like my audio to be as best as it can. Um I mean right now I'm I'm not in my regular studio. I kind of got banished to the frog room because, you know, we're doing Christmas presents and stuff like that in the closet uh-huh. where I normally record. Yeah. But I don't always have control over what happens with the guest's audio because it just depends on that person's Wi-Fi signal or, or phone signal. So yeah. I don't always have a tremendous amount of control over that. And um, he, he was like, what about my audio, my audio? I'm like, it won't matter with you. I said, no. you can have bad audio and no one will care. Yeah. I, I, me, if my audio is bad, I'll hear it. If yours is bad, it, no, one will, no one will care. And it, it's, yeah. it's true because that's just the way that it worked out. Uh, I mean, in the statistics that I get, but I mean, I think that the, the moral of the story is that we all do talk to each other. I'm I'm curious because you talk to other content creators. I mean, you went, oh, yeah. you went to yeah. Costa Rica with what three of them? Yeah. So yeah. we do we do talk to each other about different things. I, I'll pick people's brains about what type of mic they're using or you know how they. I'm mean, even like photography, like how you how you get something to you know just. Well, there's really, you really can't control how you get something to hold still, but, you know, what kind of light box are you using? What kind of lens did you use? You know, I mean, I'm no master photographer, but it's always curious about stuff like that. Oh, for sure. And I think, I think it's important, like, to have those people in your niche or just in, yeah, I guess your niche, um, that you can talk to openly. And, and I know that, money especially is such a big taboo thing to talk about but i mean maybe it's just me or or my generation or whatever like i'm super open like obviously i'm not gonna like broadcast it on a podcast or a video but like if somebody comes up to me and i know them fairly well and they say hey how much do you make like how much do you make i'll be like well it depends and like i'll answer i'm not gonna hide it from them i'm not gonna lie to them whatever but like I have a couple friends. I mean, Brian Barcheck, everybody knows his name. He's one of them. I can ask him pretty much any question and he will answer it honestly with respect. Like not not upset. Just he's like, I'm just I'll just say, it. like, hey, I'm genuinely curious. What do you think about this? Or what did this cost? Or whatever. And he's like, Yep, here you go, and sends it. Or like Dion, Reptiliatus, like it's the same thing. We're very, very open with each other, and and with him especially. Like he's one of my best friends, so I guess it's a little bit different there. But even still, like I can say, hey man, like did you notice this month was weird? And he's like, oh dude, like this happened and that happened, and my analytics are down and blah blah blah. So it, it's it's nice to have those people that you can kind of turn to and talk about because to the vast majority of people if you say oh man my my revenue went down this month they're like oh poor you you're making money on the internet get a real job and you're like that's not the feedback i was looking for <laughs> yeah this does believe it or not i mean it's interesting among content creators i mean there, there's been a few people that have been a, a, you know look a pain in my ass but you know what in the grand scheme of things it really ended up being like nothing because i mean at least for this medium you know the podcasting 
I talk to a lot of other podcasters and certain yeah, certain people it. who aren't even in like forget animals, forget frogs, forget all that stuff. At the end of the day, it's all basically the same. You know what I mean? Yep. In terms of what we what we do and like audio quality. I mean, to be honest, I don't I I listen to a couple animal podcasts, but most of the stuff I listen to is not animal related at all. You, you know what You're I mean? You're a true I, crimes guy, aren't you? Paranormal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's a fine line between the two. Cause a lot of this stuff overlaps, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge paranormal person and a lot of the paranormal podcasts have way bigger followers than animal podcasts. Yeah. So I'll listen to what those guys and girls are doing and see what works for them. And try to try to emulate that somewhat. So believe it or not, even like my, my, interview style which i've kind of developed over time i mean i try to just be myself but i've been influenced more so by people who don't even have animal podcasts than people who do but that's just oh i believe it yeah i mean most of the videos that i watch are all like photography videography editing like final cut pro techniques tech reviews like i truth be told i'm i'm the same with you like i really I listen to animal podcasts like that's most of the podcasts that I listen to. But most of my YouTube content, probably 80 percent of it is not maybe even more like 90 percent of it is not animal related at all. (laughs) Yeah, people don't realize that it's like this is great. I like frogs and everything like that, but I need a break every so often. (laughs) That's what gets my mind off of it at night. I want to ask you one last question because we're we're getting to the end. Yeah, YouTube removed or not really removed but they modified the dislike button in such a way that it's not visible to people mm-hmm. and i feel like the inter- i mean at least me my, my personal opinion is i feel like the internet has become a very unfriendly place i mean and look we're adults everyone's entitled to have opinions and stuff like that i, I understand that and having the bad kind of goes along with having the good but yeah do you have any thoughts on the dislike button kind of disappearing and how that affects new content creators or or just content creators in general? Um, so I think it's kind of analogous to, I don't know if it happened in the States, but I know in Canada, they like Instagram removed how many people, like you can't see how many people liked photos. So you could see the individuals. And if you wanted to count them, you could, but the actual number where it's like, you know, there's the one Instagram account and then it's like, and a thousand others or, and 400 others or whatever, like this photo, they remove that completely. Uh, now it's changed back to where you can toggle it on if you want or off if you don't. Um, and I think YouTube is somewhere in that realm where I don't think it's like a flick of the switch and everybody had their dislikes hidden i think it's like a slowly implemented process i i could be wrong with that because truth be told i don't actually follow a lot of what happens on youtube as close as i probably should um but i did hear about the dislike thing and i think i feel like i probably have a similar thought process as as you but i think it's in general kind of a inherently negative thing like it is i guess comment on the whether it's a free speech whatever if you want but like i don't think necessarily that harshly about it but i think it is very much a it's a tool and i think that 
it should be used as such. Like, I know there are people that judge a video. Like, if you look at something that's, uh, let's pull an example out, like a tutorial, and you're looking up how to open an exoterra tank because you have no idea. And if there's somebody that is trying to teach you and does it completely wrong, they're going to get more dislikes. Like typically if there's less than like a, or more than like a 10% dislike ratio to like ratio, you know that something in that video is either very bad or it was very polarizing. Like it, it tells you something about the video right off the bat. And I think with the lack of the, the showing the numbers and, and the percentages, I think that's inherently losing a step of not anonymity, but expression and, and seeing how a video is doing. Um, at the end of the day, it is engagement. So maybe YouTubers won't like it as much either, but um, I don't, truth be told, I don't have like a super harsh opinion about it. Honestly, I heard about it happening and I was like, you know what? I have bigger fish to fry than worry about this right now. So I, I haven't really thought too much about it. Well, kudos to you for taking the high road. I just, I, I looked at YouTube one day and I looked at some videos that I knew had dislikes and I'm like, wait a minute, what happened here? And then I looked at another one and another one. And then I, you know, used trusty old fashioned Google <laughs> went on the old interweb and uh, did a little search, and lo and behold, I, I don't know if it's different in Canada than here in the U.S. I, I apologize. I actually should have um, looked into that first before I asked you the question. But oh, um, no, no, it's, I don't. I, again, I don't know how it worked, but my understanding was that they got rid of it because it was discouraging to new content creators. I mean, again, I can understand that because from a business aspect, YouTube's going to YouTube makes money off advertising. So yeah. if you're st- you know, really stymieing new content, you're not going to get new content because once someone stops, I don't care who you are, once you stop making videos, like you said, it's it's over. You know what I mean? Unless something becomes yeah. a meme and like resurrects itself later on, mm-hmm. that's they're going to be their bread and butter. So why would you want to discourage people? It's just, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen people who have good up and coming channels that have a, a, like a, a quality content. And I don't necessarily, I mean, look, everything doesn't have to be entertainment, educate, I mean, excuse me, everything doesn't have to be education, entertainment's a big part of it, I mean, that's a lot of times why we just want to be entertained, but I yeah. see a lot of people who have good channels, and the channel's just starting off, and you can see the person has, say, seven or eight, nine, ten likes, and then two dislikes, and you know that that's personal, someone did yeah. that personally just to try and sink that person's channel, and to me, that's just, I don't know, I mean, just to, to me, that's just, that's just petty. It's like, if you don't like someone's content, look, if it's completely egregious and it's wrong, that's one thing. But if you're just doing it to be cruel, I, I don't see that being a positive thing. I, th- I think at least my understanding was that was what YouTube's agenda was, was to uh, cut, cut out on that kind of, almost I don't want to say cyber bullying, but basically bullying people who got new channels by making them take a dive before they even got off the ground. Interesting. Yeah, I, I never... I never thought of it that way. Now that you mention it, I think that like your, your, your point or your opinion, I don't, whichever that was (laughs) or both, I guess (laughs) my misguided Uh, ramblings. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly think that like the cynical side of me is just kind of like, you know what, if you're, 
if you're getting real upset about having a couple dislikes on a video, that's this. It's either time to toughen up and learn the hard way that you know what you're on the internet now, and as you grow, the more like the more you grow, the more negative feedback you're gonna get. That's just the nature of the beast. The more people who have eyeballs on your painting, the more people will have critiques of it. And I think that that's something that it might be almost a generational thing. Like I, I know you've seen it as I've seen it, like over the past five, six, even a couple of years, like things, <laughs> things have been going very PC and, and not to say that that's a bad thing, but there are definitely some, some stances where it's like, really, this is what we're worrying about now. Like, really you're choosing this to be upset about of all things not like hunger and droughts and like starvation but like some buddy like called kim kardashian some weird name it's like really that's okay you do you but cool <laughs> um so i i guess like it, it makes sense that they're trying to kind of encourage new creators and stuff but I think there is something to be said for tough love and just like, you know what, if you really want to do this and, and you are set to have this be your kind of platform or your expression, just do it. Like you just got to learn to, you know, forget the haters as they say, and just do you like, that's some, that's a valuable lesson that I'm sure you've learned and, and all other creatives have learned to some degree. I've learned that many, many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> many, many times, but yeah, you're right. It's just, it is part of the process. It's just that I feel like it only takes a second to bring someone down. True. And I yeah. feel like you, you put in a lot of effort and it's like, look, if you don't like it, just talk to me. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? True. Just, just talk to me. We'll talk. I, there's been times when people have said, look, you know what? I don't really like this, or that, and the other thing I say, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. You know what? I didn't notice that before. Thank you for bringing it to my attention, but that's productive. Mm -hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? True. Whereas if you're just, if you become heavy handed with the criticism, but don't offer any kind of anything productive out of it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm like jaded and, and old. I just, I, I hate to see people get so caught <laughs> up in this negative nonsense. You know, it's like, I mean, like you said, someone can look at a video for two seconds or listen to an interview or whatever and get so worked up and agitated over it and then forget it by the next day. Yep. Whereas the person who created that is thinking, what did I do wrong? And meanwhile, that person has just completely moved on. So true. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Not, like I said, I didn't have like a super harsh opinion about it, but yeah, like it makes sense. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think there's pros and cons. I think they should have probably talked to the community a little bit more before just implementing such as something as huge as like, Oh, Hey, we're removing this. <laughs> well, I think you can see it as a, like you the as a, you as a creator can see it, yeah. but it can't be consumed by the general public. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, me, you know what? Look, I remember being younger and watching TV and if you didn't like what was on TV, you just turned it off and walked away. You didn't, True. you didn't, or maybe you wrote an angry letter to the, uh, to the <laughs> network that would end up in a, in a dustbin somewhere. But right. I don't know. Maybe that's me. I don't, I don't want to get too into it, but Especially since we're like right at the end, but on a yeah, sure. on a positive note, because I I try to end on a positive note, although it doesn't yep. always it doesn't always end that. But it's funny because whenever I do an episode with like about a conservation topic, and we get towards the end, 
I have to stop leaving those questions for the end because it always ends up so grim. You, you know, I always end up so I'm like, like, what? So what about the future? And it's like, well, the future's bad. I think, oh, yeah. Well, what about the past? Past was good. So <laughs> I don't know. What are your plans for the holiday weekend? Um, I'm actually on the 23rd. Uh, Bree and I are going back to Calgary um, to celebrate Christmas with my family and uh, check out. <laughs> course always working I'm, i'll be bringing my camera and probably doing a couple uh couple tours when i'm there but um yeah I'm, I'm excited to get back home and see my family i haven't seen them since oh, july i guess so this will this is like the longest amount of time i've gone without seeing them so i miss them and i'm excited to see them and then uh yeah i got <laughs> new year's and stuff out there too so hopefully the i know restrictions and stuff are starting to come back again at least in canada so i'm really hoping we'll hold out for new year's so i can actually hang out and party with my friends but i guess we'll have to see uh what about yourself got any big plans or anything uh i was planning on stealing christmas like the grinch that's i mean (laughs) hey that's notable that's notable (laughs) <laughs> no that's all right it's been done no i'm just kidding we, we're we just very simple we don't really do too much here so just um we do that it's kind of a north it's kind of a northeast thing where we do this thing called like the seven fishes where like you basically make like tomato sauce with like shrimps lobsters mussels clams and stuff like that for oh, some man, that sounds so yeah good. for some reason it possesses <laughs> it's like a, it's like a mediterranean thing like my wife's family's maltese and mm-hmm. they do it like so it's it's a, it's an, it's also like a really big italian american thing here although like my grandparents were italian but we never ate pasta we had like we would have like roast chicken and like polenta for like our holiday meal but somehow we ended up doing this so yeah we're basically gonna end up just like cooking for the whole day and like you know stuffing <laughs> stuffing our faces so that's Little, little insight into uh, our our very private otherwise life, but yeah, <laughs> nothing special. Nice. Just delicious. I'm just I'm just thankful to enjoy the day. That's really what it boils down to me. Is I'm just thankful to be home with my my wife and kids, and you know, that to me is the most important thing. Absolutely, family. Yeah, family's important. Yeah. All right, everyone. I want to thank Mike for doing the show tonight. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's fun to do a little casual, just two guys talking. And um, I'm going to be taking a break for New Year's. I've got some really cool stuff coming up, though, for the new year. So you guys will have plenty of stuff to check out in uh, in January. And other than that, like I said uh, in the beginning, I hope you guys you know enjoy this episode, enjoy each other. Enjoy the holiday, whatever it is that you're into, whether you're celebrate or not, you know, just take some time. Be thankful for what you have in front of you. And that's about it. So I will catch up with you guys again soon. Enjoy the new year.